Hey, welcome to TBT's podcast. I'm Dan Friel and back with me again for season two of the TBT podcast. As we know it today is Jake Pavorsky. Jake, how are you doing? Dan, it feels great to be back. We're a little later with the podcast than usual, but better late than never and looking forward to a fantastic TBT 2019. Should be the best one yet. And then again, Jake, uh, we are joined by Josh Brown. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing great, Dan. Good to be back. Good to hop back on the mic and uh, ready to go. Unbelievable, guys, that we're already so close to TPT 2019. It's been an incredible offseason. Very different strategies this year for teams in terms of getting in and things that they had to do to get in. But I think we've ended up with an amazing field of 1 through 64. Josh, is that your impression too? Yeah, we have. Um, really deep. Uh, I mean, if you go region by region, I mean, we talked about it when we were putting the bracket together, Dan and Jake, that like, I mean, never, I mean, you could never take a game off in TBT, but it's at a level now where like, Games where that would be like second round or even third round games, like really premier quality games are happening in round one, like all across every single region. So um, it's a loaded field. Uh, we're going to dive into it, you know, both today and over the coming uh, weeks as we approach TBT. But um, unbelievable. There's not one easy game or easy matchup really on the bracket. Jake, your thoughts on the bracket overall? Yeah, I mean, 1 through 64, far and away our most complete field. And you can look at each team and find an X factor. A guy who can take over a game is a seven, even on a 7 or an 8 seed team and win you that matchup, you know, and, and stun a team that's a little bit of a higher seed. I, I think there's there are no easy outs this year. Um, and, and we've really done a good job of kind of putting together a fantastic field and setting up some, some great first-round matchups, some rivalries, guys with histories that have played each other in the past that will see each other on day one, wherever the region may be, whether it's a Friday game or Saturday game or even a, a Thursday game, uh, it's going to be excellent. And uh, really looking forward to seeing these guys get out there and compete with each other and uh, you know predict a couple upsets along the way. One of the things that really stands out to me now in year six of TBT is that the, the quality of the player is just so much higher now than it's ever been in the past. And I think specifically when you compare it to where we started in 2014, um, it's almost like every guy in the field right now is a pro or has played pro very, very recently. And the rec leaguer that was kind of here just for fun um, doesn't really have a place. And it sometimes feels like maybe we're missing a little bit of that um, sort of bizarreness of the everyday Joe playing a pro. Josh, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I agree, Dan. Um, it, it's definitely what made TBT kind of unique and not that it's ununique now, but it really kind of, um, it was, you know, fun to watch, you know, the, you know, Jacob Hirschman taking the court or, um, you know, there's a couple other teams and, and, um, but I mean, I think at the end of the day, I mean, when you look at kind of the field we have and I, I mean, you still have kind of those stories like, you know, Primetime players are all really good players. Some of them have played professionally. They played college ball. But, um, you know, if you get, if they get to that second round and Team Hines wins their first game, just speculating a little bit, you have a bunch of guys who play year round together in Charlotte, North Carolina, playing some of the best EuroLeague players of, of all time. Um, so there's still kind of matchups like that on the board that could, you know, happen and that could take place. Um, it'll, will definitely kind of, um, you know, miss some of the nostalgia or longtime TBT fans of like those really true, like, you know, YMCA heroes against, you know, Bayheim's army type of games. But, uh, you know, TBT's evolving. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, you want to put out the best field you can get in the best 64 players, the, or the best, uh, teams, the best players. And, uh, that's what we did. 
Yeah, I think that evolution is a good way to think about it. And Jake, I mean, certainly from a basketball fan's perspective, uh, looking at these teams one through 64, there really is something for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And and just to Josh's point, obviously we'll miss the kimchi expresses and, and those guys getting the chance to take the floor. But I mean, you look at even, you know, some of the eight seeds, you know, Boo Williams is an eight seed in Greensboro and you've got a backcourt of James Daniel and Cat Barber who've combined for over 3000 points throughout their college career playing at NC State and with James Daniel some time at Howard before getting to Tennessee. I mean, it's, it's a great mix of talent up and down the board. You have AAU alumni teams uh, between Chris Paul's team and the Boo Williams program that I just mentioned. Uh, which is pretty brand new to the the setting of TBT. Uh, also seeing, you know, alumni teams from certain divisions. You, we had a D3 team last year, obviously. Great to have those guys back in the fold playing in Syracuse, a little more native to where they're from, but also a D2 alumni team. You have your Drew League teams, obviously 23 different alumni teams, guys representing their towns like Jackson, Tennessee underdogs. It's, it's a great mix of everything. And all those teams are just loaded with different towns, guys that have either played at the highest level, whether it be D1 in the NBA for a little while, um, these guys are, are stacked with these rosters for sure. Um, and there will be guys that, you know, teams will have to hone in on and, uh, you know, cross a couple times in the, the scouting report to make sure that they don't fall through the cracks during those games. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, <laughs> I think what you just said is there's no easy game. You know, it used to be that there might be a 16 seed that unless everybody in the court literally collapsed and was unable to play for the one seed, you knew that the one seed was going to win. And I think that certainly there are teams of different caliber in the event, but there's no easy game right now. There doesn't seem to be a game where I look at and I say, they're going to win by 50. You agree with that, yeah, Josh? Or what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, Jake said it perfectly. I mean, Boo Williams is an eight seed. And um, I mean, that's a team who uh, in any year could have been a, a super 16 or beyond team. So um, there's not an easy game that D2 team. Um, they have some really good talent. A couple of guys who've played in TBT. Um, the Hilltop Dogs, I mean, that's an eight seed. They're playing overseas elite. Um, and you know, that has now, what's it? Four guys who were on that team, that UMBC team who beat, uh, Virginia in the 2018 NCAA tournament. So, I mean, you look up and down the board team, Utah's an eight seed. They've played very well in TBT before. So, um, yeah, there's not an easy, easy game and easy out for any opponent. And, uh, I think we've talked about it a couple of times, but I think, Dan, we're going to see a lot of upsets this year, which makes it uh, even more exciting for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And we'll definitely get into sort of predictions and thoughts about specific regional matchups over the next couple of podcasts that we'll do in this series. Uh, but in order to get to that field of 64, we had to exclude about 31 teams this year. There were about 95 teams that were fully eligible uh, in order to play in TBT. And it's always tough to uh, tell a guy or to tell a team that they're not going to be able to play uh, for this after they've put in so much effort uh, most of the time in order to get in. And so, Jake, I wanted to kind of start with you. If you had to pick a team that's not in the field that you'd like to see in the field, the team that was omitted, uh, who would you take? Uh, I think Aztec, Dine, Aztec Nation, excuse me, as a first-year applicant, um, really did a good job of putting themselves out there and making it difficult to exclude them. Uh, a really well-run you know, minor league team you know, based in the South, um, with the roster that had a couple of those guys from the minor league team, but also a couple of different guys that they recruited from outside of there. Terry Maston from, from Baylor is a very good player. Um, so they did a good job of, of making it really hard for us. They hit social media hard, uh, sometimes a little bit too late, unfortunately. Uh, but nevertheless, I, I thought they gave us something to watch for and, and hopefully, um, they'll be willing to come back next year and, uh, and give it another go. I, I think we would definitely be open to taking them, uh, if they were, they were so willing enough to, to go through the process again. Josh, you had quite a few teams, I think, that um, you would have liked to see get in the event, too. What are your thoughts on some of the ones that did not get in? 
Yeah, again, it's always tough. Um, you know, uh, I have a soft spot for Du Bois just because they've played in TBT and, yeah. you know, what they're representing and everything. And uh, kind of a tough omission there. Uh, Aztec was a good team. Hickory, I, I, I thought they put together a pretty good team. They had some good pros on that team. Um, it was kind of a different team than they roll out usually and, you know, down in North Carolina where they play. Um, and they kind of improved it for TBT. So I like them, but, um, yeah, I mean, du-, du Bois was kind of probably from, uh, you know, pulling from your heartstrings, kind of the toughest one in that regard, uh, just cause they played in TBT for a couple of years and what they represent and everything. So it was, uh, kind of tough to leave them out. I think those are the teams that I have the hardest time with, to be honest with you. It's the guys that have competed in TBT that I know are good guys that always put together a team that cares. Um, that, those are the ones that, uh, that are hard to, to let go, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Ed McCann's with Marion, Ohio, um, you know, where you have, uh, Mike Baez with a, the Matadors team, obviously Du Bois is a really tough exclusion. Uh, I thought Brian Tracy with Utah Valor did a great job of really trying to pull that together this year. And unfortunately just didn't work out. Um, you know, and then you have a bunch of other teams that, that are really quality that just didn't get in. And I think it's a reality of kind of where the event is progressing, or as you said, Josh, evolving that we um that we've had to make such tough tough decisions about who gets in and who doesn't but hopefully uh you know those teams do reapply and and circumstances change in the future and they're able to to get back on the saddle uh with TBT um guys let's talk about something fun for a second let's talk about now the regional as you see it that you would most want to watch in person so this is the regional that you think would just be the most entertaining uh purely from a basketball perspective from a fandom perspective which one would you most want to go to Jake well, I have to take two uh, because there are two regions that I think just stand above the rest. One of them I will actually be at, which is the Wichita region. Uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to being there and kind of experiencing that atmosphere that they've, they've been able to create. Um, the aftershocks in Wichita, their, their GMs, Kron Bradley, as well as Tian Yen, uh, and what they've built in that city alongside the university um, is just is setting up to be absolutely electric. You know, we're playing in, a, in their home, home arena at Coke Arena. Um, and the, the field there outside of Aftershocks, which if it was just Aftershocks playing one single game, I think they'd pack that place with 10,000 people. But the fact that we have a, a full regional there with alumni teams from outside of Wichita State, Kansas, Kansas State, Marquette, and Colorado, a fantastic Iowa United team, and a scrappy Fort Hood team. I mean, that is a, a remarkable region with some great local ties. And I imagine fans will be traveling from, from Manhattan, for Kansas State, from Lawrence, for Kansas. And I've been told that the Wichita area alone um, is very diverse in having alumni from those three different schools. Um, and there's some matchups being set up where, you know, those teams, obviously, it could happen where Kansas and Wichita State run into each other on that Saturday. Um, you know, later in the tournament, you know, Wichita State or Kansas could potentially run into Kansas State um, and continue that, that in-state rivalry. But it almost feels like um, these teams are kind of competing for you know, who is the best team in, in the state of Kansas. So I, I can only imagine what that's going to be like. And just to be there and experience that atmosphere um, is going to be awesome. Uh, I'll, I, I think the second region that I would say will probably be one of your other two choices. So I won't steal your thunder, but if you do mention it, I will make sure to, to give you the nod. <laughs> Suspense. What about you, Josh? Yeah, Dan. Uh, and just to add on to that, Wichita, I mean, you also have – the Golden Eagles who made the, uh, the semifinals last year in Colorado has made a, a TBT championship game. And, you know, not to just go through the whole region, but you also have a reloaded sideline cancer team and a really good Iowa United team bringing together players from Iowa, Iowa State 
and Drake. So that's a loaded region. Um, I, the one that I would pick is um, the one I, I'm going to it too. Um, Richmond, I, I think that regional is absolutely loaded, just kind of like Wichita, you know, VCU hosting that region. Um, on, you know, the other top of that bracket, you have overseas elite and hilltop dogs. I mean, that matchup alone is kind of worth the price of admission seeing, you know, can hilltop dogs do the impossible again? Can they be the one to beat overseas elite? You have West Virginia, a team made up of, um, guys from that final four team. And I believe it was 2010. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but from that final four team and from the recent, uh, press Virginia teams coming together and playing under the name best Virginia, you have, George, a couple of George Mason guys uh, from that Final Four team a while back, uh, kind of a mix of guys from that Final Four team and newer alums. They're coming together to play as a uh, George Mason alumni team, a Richmond alumni team. And then the the kind of wild card in that region is Team DRC. You know, they made a deep run last year. They made it to Atlanta to the Super 16. They lost a couple of pieces and had to retool the roster, but they always kind of bring together a good team. So um, you never know what, what, you know, they could end up doing in that Richmond regional. So um, that's an absolutely loaded region. And you have the possibility of Ram nation and overseas elite playing for the fourth time, but for the first time in Richmond in front of that VCU home crowd. So that's going to be a, uh, an electric region and uh, looking forward to watching it. Um, I'm kind of with you on Richmond. I think that one's going to be absolutely dynamic. There's so much going on there. Tons of alumni element. There's going to be multiple bands most likely playing in that arena <laughs> at the same time, which is going to be awesome. Uh, I'm going to go outside a little bit and say I'm really, really excited to spend a day in Salt Lake uh, because I think that there are really compelling teams out there. You've got the last two finalists, Everline Drive and Team Challenge ALS, uh, playing out there. Team Fredette was a semifinalist last year. You've got two semifinalists from last year within that field between Fredette and Everline Drive. Um, you've got some seven and eight seeds in Utah Stallions and Team Utah that I think could upset uh, based upon the home court uh, advantage that they're likely to have. I mean, I just think that Salt Lake Regional is going to be fantastic. Uh, there's a couple other ones that I'm a little jealous that I'm not going to go to. Uh, Syracuse being number one, if only because I think that place is going to be swimming in Bayheim's Army fans. And the momentum that they've gotten with that fan base in, in the Syracuse uh, area over the last four years and now entering year five with that team and finally playing uh, in their home court. I think that whole weekend is going to be amazing up there in Syracuse, but there's a lot to look forward to. I think from a fan's perspective, um, one thing that I'm curious about from you guys' perspective is which regional, if you were one of these teams, if you could pick a regional to play in that you think would give you your best chance of advancing to Chicago, Josh, which one would you go with? Well, I was thinking about that, Dan, when you sent over the agenda and you want to say Greensboro looking at it, but then you look at the number one seed there and it's Team Hines. And that seems like kind of an impossible matchup, no matter what your team is with Kyle Hines and Mike James and Nick Calathis and Ricky Lito. And, you know, you could go up and down the list. So um, I don't know, Dan, it's so tough. Um, I, it, I I really can't say Greensboro with Hines in that region. Um, maybe you, you look at Memphis, I guess I would go there either yeah i guess i would go with memphis um you know you have gale force who they looked unstoppable in that hoop fest pod a year ago and then kind of flamed out against everline drive just didn't have a good show in that game but they're a very good team um i i would say probably memphis um even though again you know bluff city is putting together a really good team arkansas is going to have a good showing 
Um, and you have Gale Force in that region and maybe Broad Street, who's the number four seed, who, you know, could be the number one seed in that region based on the team yeah. they've put together with a lot yeah. of NBA talent and high level pros. But, um, I guess if I had to pick one, I would go with that Memphis regional. Would you do that, Jake? Yeah, I'm with Josh on that. I mean, you, you kind of look across the board and some of the other regions, you see the one seeds that are playing there. Though they're very daunting and ones that should be the heavy favorite. And while no disrespect to that Gale Force team, I think that the offense they run, bringing Randy Bennett's system into TBT, uh, and the way the style that they play, I think they're one of the most well-run teams in TBT. At the same time, they did run into Everline Drive last year and kind of get run through. Um, so it kind of shows you, I think, where the dynamic of that field is, is that one through eight. I think anyone could come out of there. Um, and I, it just shows you how, how close the, the gap is between all those teams. I mean, I could go up and down the rosters right now. But even Jackson, Tennessee, Jalen Barford gets hot. You know, who knows what happens in a yeah. game against Gale Force there if he's able to drop 25, 30 in that one. And those guys are, are scrappy and play hard and they have great chemistry. Um, so that game could be tough in itself. The Brawlers obviously have great experience. Louisiana United has put together another very good roster. And it wouldn't surprise me if they added a couple more guys prior to their first game. And I think Team Every Day, too, run by Derek Byers and uh, boosted by Damari Carroll of the Brooklyn Nets, is a great new addition to that field and a team that has uh, a lot of NBA experience. I think it's five guys there that have played in the NBA. Justin Dentman's a great scorer. Uh, Bobby Jones, you have Ronaldo Balkman, who was known for his time with the New York Knicks. Teams like that, you know, those kind of conglomerates of overseas pros, you never know how they're going to sort of fit together. But I think they have the right pieces and some good shooters. Devondrick Walker is one of the better players in Italy. I think he'll be a one of their primary go-to options um, to knock down shots from deep. And that's a team that if everything kind of clicks from there, you know, they would not look like a seven seed. It's a little tough to judge them as a first-year entrant, but also one that you could say could very easily come out of there and make their way to Chicago. Yeah, I would kind of agree. I don't think there's any easy path in this entire bracket, but I think if I had to pick one, it would be Memphis. I, I just have a feeling that um, that might be the – be the one that I would go with. But either way, I mean, it's like I said, there's no easy path to get out of there. You've got a home team in Memphis that's going to be playing in front of a lot of fans. You've got a number one seed in Gale Force that played really, really well last year and looks to be even better uh, this season. So I think it's going to be a really awesome, awesome, awesome regional. I just think I might pick that one if I had my choice of of anywhere to go. Um, all right, guys, let's talk about this for a second because this is a conversation that Jake and I were having recently about specifically TBT big men. And it kind of led to a further conversation about how you would ideally construct your roster. Now, obviously, the way Overseas Elite went about it the last four years is the way to do it because they've been successful. They're 25 and 0. But if you were kind of coming up with your ideal roster, um, Jake, we'll start with you since we started off this conversation. What would you have? Like, what would your pieces be? What are the things you have to have? And then um, what are the things that you'd like to have on a TBT roster? Yeah, for sure. And I think overseas, the overseas elite model is so hard to replicate. And I was actually just talking about this with, with an assistant coach on, uh, on one of the other teams. It's just that I think they've sort of set the blueprint for what you need in skill sets out of the guys from your different positions. And since the conversation sort of started with big men, the one thing that I've learned is that like John Drake Jefferson has been like become the perfect CBT big man. He's like everything you need in the big in the sense that like he's not someone you need to like dump the ball into the post and like play through. He's not going to like pound the rock three or four times and like turn over his shoulder like with the right hand and try a jump hook. Like that's not his game. He knows what he's good at. He's tall. He's long. He's like 6'11". And what he's going to do is he's going to throw down lobs. He's going to get tip-ins. He's going to block shots. He's going to hustle for rebounds. I, I think that the best big men in TBT are the ones that don't need touches at all and that they can make impact in the game and play hard the entire time, knowing they may not touch the ball directly every single time. They kind of have to make their own buckets. 
I, I think if you can have those guys that are sort of low maintenance, low frittles, bouncy shot blocking types, which those are hard to come by. Like it's, it's hard to find guys that sort of fit that description in CBT. They, they certainly don't grow on trees. Um, but I, I think that those are the best guys. And I look at like a, a CJ Aiken maybe for brotherly love. I think he's a guy who's probably going to have a lot of success in, in TBT with that team and has had success in TBT in the past. Um, so those are the kinds of molds of players that I think make the most sense as bigs. In terms of guard play, I, I think you have to have two bucket getters on the court at the same time at all times. Um, and not all of them will be Eric McCollum and Kyle Fogg in terms of like their ability to, to make those shots and, you know, be clutch performers like that. Um, but you need, this is going to be a guard dominated tournament. It's always going to be that way. It's, it's who in your backcourt and when the clock is coming down to it or you're in Elam ending time and you need a late bucket to either go ahead or win it all, who's going to be able to create that shot for you? And they have a plethora of those guys and they've reloaded this year and added more guys who sort of fit that description um, that can just be straight bucket getters. You know, great handles, great crossover moves, are able to create separation and knock down jumpers in the mid-range as well as from three. And they have the right pieces at the forward spots too. Um, you have kind of like do-it-all wings in, in DeAndre Kane and, and DJ Kennedy. Um, that can defend, that can move the ball around, um, but that can also grab rebounds, push the ball in transition, and create opportunities in the open floor. I think having guys like that, having really four ball handlers that you're comfortable with, um, that can grab boards, can push the tempo, um, can space it around and move the ball around, it's important to have guys. You need to have at least four, three guys, I think, and if it works out, four, that are all capable ball handlers that can distribute um, and that can make plays for themselves. Um, not necessarily shooting the ball from deep, but maybe getting to the rack like Kane and Kennedy have. Um, those, you know, obviously it's, it's a blueprint that has worked. You know, it's been remarkably successful for them. Might be tough to, to integrate, you know, on an alumni team where, you know, you're not necessarily picking from just different parts of the world. Um, but those seems to be the keys. It's, it's two guards that are go-getters, wings that you can just kind of like fill in and sort of be the do-it-all guys that you can shoot, that can pass and that can defend. And big men that are low maintenance, low frills that will do all the tiny stuff. For me, that is, if I was back being a CBT GM, that's the kind of model I would approach and the guys that I would look to bring into my system. What about you, Josh? Would you do most of that same stuff or do you have a different thought? No, I, I think, Jake, obviously TBT begins with guard play. I mean, if you look at not even overseas elite, but when you think of uh, Everline Drive from last year, I mean, who are the two guys that immediately come to mind from an on-the-court perspective? It's Jerome Randall and Donald Sloan. With yep. Team Challenge ALS, it was Casper Ware. With Team Colorado, it was Marcus Hall. I mean, when you think of those teams, it's it's their backcourt that comes to mind, uh, that jumps to mind, you know, immediately. Um, I think Jake kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, if you kind of go through even not just overseas elite, but the other teams who have had success in TBT, when you look at in terms of the backcourt and kind of the big men and centers and, and power forwards you want to bring on the team, they kind of all have fit that model. I mean, even last year, I mean, even with like Everland, like James Michael McAdoo, even though he, you know, he can, he can give you 25 a game, no problem. Uh, he's an NBA talent. He's an NBA champion. Um, but he did kind of take that backseat in, in terms of just kind of, you know, pulling down rebounds, um, made some hustle plays on defense. Um, he blocked shots. He caught some lobs. Um, so it, it's a good point And it's something I never really kind of thought of. Um, before in terms of constructing the roster, I think a couple of teams this year are maybe going against that grain a little bit and they're really talented teams. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, how they perform and, and, uh, you know, what works for them and what doesn't. But, um, yeah, overall, I think Jake kind of hit the nail on the head. So, uh, don't have much to add there. Seems like the temptation is to want to play with a big man that is skilled that can do a lot of things with the ball. Like basically like a big man that uh, almost like a, 
who's the guy in the Nuggets, uh, Jake, the big guy? Jokic? Jokic, yeah. No, I mean, like, like a Jokic. poor man's version of Jokic. You know what I mean? Like a guy that can mm-hmm. do everything and kind of run your offense through him. And the danger with that is that most of those guys that are not in the NBA are too bulky and slow to really succeed in the pace that a lot of these TBT games break down into. So I, I'm 100% with Jake on the John J. Jefferson model, where you have a long, lanky, shot blocking type big. But I also think you need a Justin Burrell, you know, that a big body that can just manage anybody, whether he's 6'8 or 6'10, but just a body that can that can basically bang with anybody that is up against him. You know, guard play is a given. If you don't have successful guards, if you don't have guards that can get a bucket when you need them, you're going to be in trouble because I think inevitably your play uh, style of play is going to break down uh, in TBT. And so what's interesting to me is that there are teams that are developing certain styles. And what would concern me if I was coming up with a strict half-court style offense is that it's really hard to manage that when the when the defense is playing the way that they are with the intensity that they're going to be playing with. And so you almost need to be able to play a variety of different ways, which I think fundamentally is overseas elite's greatest attribute. You know, they have a ton of Swiss Swiss army knife players on that team that just do a million different things. So missing McCollum, who might be the ultimate Swiss army knife guy or do it all for the team guy and fog, who, you know, is really a premier defending guard and certainly has become one of the better shooters in TBT, if not the best shooter in TBT over the last couple of years. I'm really curious how that's going to impact what they're able to do this year. Obviously, adding in a Bobby Brown, um, you know, the guys from Akapi Tel Aviv, Alex Tyus and DeBartolomeo, all of those guys are going to help immeasurably. And it's going to be a really fantastic team, um, whether they have those two guys or not. But it's going to be interesting to see. I, I just I, I think you, you can't have anybody on the roster that puts themselves ahead of the team. And I, I know that's like a, such a cliche thing to say, but if you don't have a team first guy, on that roster, um, leading your roster, you're going to be in trouble, I think. I totally agree, Dan. If I can hop back in real quick, I just want to say that, you know, when you look at, at sort of the, the dynamic of the field this year and the difference between some of the first-year teams and the teams that have been returning to TBT, I think some of the returning teams have really started to figure out exactly what that model is. And, you know, Josh brings the challenge ALS. You look at the roster this year, I mean, their guard play is gross. I, the guys that they have added to that team, D. Bost, Marquez Haynes, DJ Strawberry, like three of the premier, like, scoring guards. Uh, those two between Boston and Haynes, those are point guards. We have DJ who can play a little bit of combo. I mean, you you will be hard-pressed to find three guards better in TBT than those three right there. And they're all on the same roster. And their front court, too, you bring in a guy like Julian Gamble, you get him over from Armored Athlete, who fits that description almost like in the Burrell category. And same with Greg Smith, too, who's a new addition to that team. Tough, burly, going to bang inside, like won't take any crap from anyone. And Deshaun Stevens, who's a little bit undersized but can also play athletic, uh, on this team, if they were able to go, you know, four guards. And I think Marvell Harris, very similar in that mold to a Kane and DJ Kennedy, um, you know, sort of like a linebacker playing forward, um, bruising type, you know, can really create his own shot and get in the lane. That's a team that, you know, after taking a step back last year, sort of reevaluated, you know, what the formula is, how do things work in TBT? They seem to get it. Well, maybe a couple other teams are still, you know, might take a couple years for them to figure that out. I love the self-made roster. I think that team's excellent. They're also very front court heavy. How they, they manage to make that work, I think will be very interesting. Uh, but you, you're starting to see that teams that have been in CBT before that have had some success, but also, you know, have taken step backs in years past are starting to see what the model is and recruiting and building their teams, um, to better fit the, the, the winning style of TBT. All right, guys. The last thing I wanted to talk about today 
uh, in this kind of intro podcast to TBT 2019 are storylines to look out for over the course of the next month. Uh, TPT kicks off in July on the 18th, uh, the 18th in Lexington, Columbus, Greensboro, and Memphis. And so those are going to be four of the first, first regionals. So we have about a month from now at the time that we're recording this uh, before these games are going to start. For me, the number one thing that changes between now and when these games actually start is who actually is going to play. Half mm-hmm. of the success with TVT is just getting your roster there. The other half of it is adding those one to two key players that might be a huge difference maker for your team during this one month period where they'll be able to do that. So the teams can add to their rosters. They can't subtract. They can't replace. If a guy's on a roster as of June 1st, he's locked into that team going forward, uh, which we know. But for me, it's always who gets added to the rosters and who doesn't show up between now and when these games actually start. So it's kind of hard to project that right now uh, without being too specific or kind of getting into rumor mongering. But there are a lot of really good players that I've heard associated with some teams right now that really could be difference makers, uh, both on and off the court for them. But Josh, let's talk Let's talk to you first about this. What are you kind of looking forward to over the next month in terms of storylines, things to look out for? Yeah, well, I was going to talk about that. Kind of, again, you know, if teams, if they get a thousand supporters on their team, they get to add that free player or they can pay for a free player as well. And, um, you know, VC uh, Ram Nation, they just flat out said, we're going to add Jamie Skeen if we get uh, the thousand votes or if they can raise enough money to pay for him. Um, so, I mean, you kind of see high impact additions like that, you know, Skeen was on that VCU final four team. And then you look at a couple of the other teams. Um, you know, if you look at that Dayton roster, you might notice a guy or two who you might have thought would be on, maybe not on it. You know, who knows what they do if they can get that thousand vote, um, total, uh, a couple of other teams, like you said, Dan, have kind of been, um, you know, maybe teasing it, uh, and kind of, you know, saying, you know, maybe this guy, maybe that guy. And again, maybe we won't get too into it now. Maybe by the time we record our regional previews, some of this stuff will be more worked out a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I think that is, I mean, that is the biggest storyline um, over the next month. Look, when you look at going towards TBT, it's who's going to show up, who our team's going to add. Um, and, and two, maybe one kind of underdog or kind of under the radar thing is who guys add uh, or bring on as coaches late in the game. We've seen a couple of, um, you know, really good coaches added to rosters over the last uh, couple weeks or right up until that deadline, you know, fancy added Brad Greenberg, who's been a longtime coach over in Israel, um, really well-renowned coach, a um, couple more that could be in the work. So um, I think as we get closer to TBT and, and um, you know, the awareness of the event goes up and people, you know, know that TBT's back. I think as much as it's drawing in high profile players, it could also draw in some really high profile coaches as well. And there's a couple rumors going around right now. So, uh, I think that's always something to, to watch out for because, um, you know, I think as Darren Carlson kind of showed, I mean, if you have a really good coach who knows how to manage the guys on his roster and, and knows kind of, um, I don't want to say the egos they have, but knows kind of how to manage personalities and put everyone in line. Uh, I think that can make a really big difference in TBT too. So, um, and coaches can be added at any time. You don't have to get votes for them. You don't have to pay for them. So, um, you know, one or two really good coaches could kind of help shift the dynamic in a region. And, um, you know, you never know who a team might add. That's a good point. Jake, what do you think? What would you look at? Yeah, for? obviously, roster additions for sure are, are going to be the main one. You know, looking just forward to next week in general, um, very excited to see the team uniforms finally get out there for everyone to be able to, to get their eyes on those, the alumni teams, the non-alumni teams. Always, uh, 
a great day when we get to show those off. Um, you know, obviously Puma did some great work in designing those this year, as well as our design team to kind of come up with the ideas in general um, for Puma to execute. Uh, so very excited to see those finally get revealed and for people to be able to, you know, on the teams as well as fans of those teams, uh, be able to get to enjoy those. But um, looking in sort of, you know, team construction and storylines, I think that there are a lot of guys out there that are still evaluating who they want to play for. Uh, I just spoke to a GM yesterday who was uh, recruiting a player, and that player told him he'll make a decision on July 12th. Like, very specifically, he's like, as a deadline day, like, where he's going to decide which team he wants to play for, which I personally think is hysterical. But also shows you, like, there are still a lot of guys out there that are sort of in that position deciding in between teams which ones they want to play for. So I think we'll see a lot of teams add some high-level guys over the next two or three weeks or so, uh, as they decide, you know, they make their decisions, uh, which teams they want to play for. And I know there are a handful out there of high level teams that are already top seeds that are looking to still make some additions to the roster, um, to really put them over the top there. That's also, so that's something to, to consider there. And I, I think the, obviously the one of the issues has always been, can you get your guys to TBT? We've seen that in previous year. I, I think this will be the year we see the highest turnout rate. And I think a lot of the big reason behind that will be, is there such a nice break between Summer League and CBT this year where the Summer League Championship game is July 15th. Uh, most teams will be knocked out before then, obviously. Um, so at the very least, a lot of these teams will have, if they're playing in that first weekend of games in those first four regions, um, they'll have at least four or five days off in between playing and CBT. And if there are second weekend teams and they have you know almost two weeks, if not more, um, to get ready to play in those games. So I, I think... We're going to see, obviously, you know, the talent in CBT gets better every year. So we always have a sizable pool of guys playing in summer league. But I think we'll see a lot more of those guys that maybe in previous years would have had conflicts now show up and be able to play in those first and second round games and really give their team a boost. So that's something that I think will not be nearly as much of an issue in the past. But I'm curious to see, you know, which teams um, add these guys. Like this Jacob Pullen up playing for Purple and Black. Megan Gustafson obviously left to, to join the, the Dallas WNBA team. Congrats to her for that opportunity. Um, you know, if possible, when players return from international break and injuries, she might be available again. Does she rejoin Iowa United? Uh, a lot of interesting things that kind of will play itself out over the next two or three weeks. But wouldn't be surprised if we see some, some very high-level additions to these teams uh, sooner rather than later. What you just said reminded me that we have to do a signing day, like a first signing day and a second signing day next year. I think that would be so much fun. Yeah. Everybody would get a kick out of that. All right, guys, this has been a great uh, podcast, great introduction to TBT 2019. We are going to be back very soon with regional previews, interviews of not only uh, key TBT people, but some other folks that I think people might be interested in. So stay tuned for more TBT podcasts coming up. We'll try to keep this series going throughout the entirety of our gameplay this year. Jake, thanks for your time. And Josh, thanks again for your time. My pleasure. Talk soon. Thank you.